Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Jessie Stevens. And I'm Mia Friedman. And on the show today, there's a red carpet trend we've seen over the past few weeks that we are absolutely here for. And a very personal question about what you do in the shower. But first... Hi, just calling the Out Louders. I'm just out on my lunchtime walk in South Melbourne around St Kilda Road and the Domain and the protesters have all ended up here and I've got caught up in the middle of a, I don't know even how to explain it, just chaos of police and protesters. I can't believe I'm in Australia. It's just absolutely terrifying. Riots and earthquakes and COVID, oh my. Melbourne, you are having a very extra week. We'd intended to talk about the last few days of protests that have taken over the city and played out in some really disturbing scenes of police and journalists being pelted with bottles and bricks and milk crates. And then this morning, in a plot twist nobody saw coming, an earthquake. Magnitude 6, Victoria's biggest since 1966. Now, we don't have much to tell you about the earthquake because tectonic plates something something but move over epidemiologists the geologists are coming in to have their moment in the sun today i saw some buildings that had it's Mm. it's early like we've not seen a lot of footage but i saw some buildings that had been damaged and i just thought this is not what people in melbourne need like to have their businesses shut for as long as they've been shut i just Cannot believe this string of and also luck. just the emotional. Like I was talking to all my Melbourne friends today, and they're just saying we are literally so rattled. Oh. Like just when you thought you couldn't get more rattled, like you've got your drawers in your kitchen open and your pictures on your walls falling off. Oh and- my gosh! And it's also it's important to note, of course, that while we're recording this, it might not be clear quite what the extent of the damage from that earthquake is. But geez, Melbourne, scary! We're, we're sending love. But something we're going to try to talk about and explain is what's going on with the protests. Although, obviously, two disclaimers. Firstly, we're not Victorians. And secondly, we love tradies. Okay. Construction workers first took to the streets of Melbourne this week after the Victorian government announced a two-week shutdown of their industry and mandatory vaccinations. So when tradies return to work on October 5th, they need to show proof of at least one dose of a COVID vax or an appointment for their first dose. This happened after Victorian Health linked more than 400 cases of COVID out of the current 6,000 or so active cases to the construction sector. And that was across 150 different construction sites. Now, this two-week shutdown was first announced last Thursday and is estimated to cost more than $6 billion. And it's the first time the construction sector has been shut down in Melbourne. Despite having more shutdowns than pretty much any other city in the world, construction has remained open 
throughout in Victoria, unlike it did in New South Wales. But health experts say that it's a decision that had to be made in the interests of public health and safety because apparently up to half of the construction sites that were inspected failed to meet COVID compliance checks. Then on Monday morning, footage emerged of a whole lot of what looked to be tradies, people in high-vis vests and gear and hard hats. They were chanting for freedom outside the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, the CFMEU. This is one of the most, uh, what would you say, powerful unions in Victoria. And it's headed by a guy called John Setka. You may have heard of him. He has been head of this union for a long time. In the last few weeks, he was in the news because his wife has alleged that he assaulted her. Police are currently investigating that. And in 2019, he was actually convicted of stalking and harassing her, which led to him um, being kicked out of the ALP where he was a member. But he resisted all attempts to get him to stand down from his very, very powerful position as a union boss. So on Monday, we saw people gathering outside the Victorian office of the CFMEU. And then throughout yesterday, what was supposed to be a peaceful protest quickly escalated into a full-scale riot. So one so-called peaceful protester was seen allegedly kicking a dog. A Channel 7 news journalist was um, allegedly attacked and had urine thrown on him in a bottle. Hundreds marched through Melbourne's CBD. Some ran towards police vehicles, throwing milk crates at them. The riot squad was brought in. Dozens of people were arrested. Police were firing rubber pellets. They were just really extraordinary scenes. But there's been some confusion about who's really behind these protests and why they're even happening in the first place. Jesse, the unions have scrambled to distance themselves from the riots, haven't they? And to say that most of the people in the crowd were not construction workers, who were they? So it appears that some were tradies, disgruntled tradies, but that far-right extremist groups have capitalised on this discontent and mobilised a group of people who are already angry, who are tired who are scared and have mobilised them to basically go and protest on the streets. Apparently there are all these messages. Again, it's really hard to verify some of this, but that circulated on Telegram and other apps that are sort of dark social media type apps uh, that told everyone where to meet and that were handing out high-vis vests so that people look like they were tradies Mm. and you couldn't tell which was which. There were a lot of anti-vaxxers also who apparently, according to Sally McManus, who's the National Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, she said extremist groups and anti-vaxxers have been infiltrating unions and a lot of social media groups and spreading vaccine misinformation. So from what you could see of these protests and riots, there was a real mix. There were as you said, disgruntled tradies, people who were grumpy about the new regulations, a lot of anti-vaxxers, people who were just anti-lockdown, people who were anarchists. It was a real mix of far right, far left, The The thing that a lot of these people had in common that I think spoke to why we found a lot of these scenes so scary was that it was predominantly men, predominantly between the ages of 25 and 40 is what they're saying. And if there is one thing we know, not just from history, but from 
scenes around the world in the last few years is that there are few things more dangerous than young unemployed men who are angry and that's what I saw is that when you have time these men some of them who are tradies some of them who might have been out of work for you know months and months it's really scary violence ensues it becomes militant it was reminiscent of some scenes we saw at the Capitol building in the US. And I think it speaks to the fact that I just thought we need to get everyone back to work. And the way to get everyone back to work is to vaccinate them. And so anti-vaxxers make that very, very hard. But the discontent to me isn't a surprise. This is capitalising on the discontent, the anger, the vulnerability of people in Melbourne and a particular class as well. And this has been touched on by people much cleverer than me that say if you look at those protesters and it was the same in Sydney, it's the same all around the world, then what you see is a real class divide. People who feel as though they are being lectured to by the elite who are living different lives to them and they're the ones who are suffering and there is some truth to that. But of course, tradies, as a great point made by people, like the art sector isn't rioting. The art sector, who have been closed down more than just about anyone else, aren't taking to the streets. Whereas tradies, you know, there should be... I think, they haven't been shut down. Exactly. And Waleed mm. made a, a really good point on the project last night that for some people in, in the entertainment industry, like him, who have been able to go to work, there's been a real sense of gratitude that they're able to go absolute compliance. How lucky are we? Yes, I'll wear my mask. Yes, give me a vax as long as I can go to work. Whereas this was different. And why do I think it's different? I think it's because it's young, angry men. And I think it's also there's a big discussion to be had about class. I think it's not entirely true to say that the construction industry hasn't been affected by lockdowns because it absolutely has. I mean, in both Sydney and Melbourne, there are much stricter rules about how many tradies can be on any work site at any time, which stands down a whole raft of people. Um, overwhelmingly, these are jobs often where if you don't work, you don't get paid. So people are, gen are genuinely losing their livelihoods because of this. Now, they're not the only sector, as you've so rightly pointed out. But this is a group of people who can't work from home. This is a group of people who mm. are being very directly affected by this. The thing that's so interesting is, and the unions in general are walking a very fine line here because all unions, not, not all unions, because there are some, obviously the teachers union is a notable exception, some healthcare unions are kind of trying to walk a line of saying, we support vaccination, it's the only way out. We don't support mandatory vaccination and we don't support these protests. So it's like a, a very mm. tricky message that you're trying to say there. And what Sally McManus says, who's the, the boss of trade unions in Australia generally, she says that she thinks that reward and incentive is better than mandatory. And there are a lot of people around the country who agree with that. The thing that I found most worrying about looking at that footage yesterday and it was genuinely terrifying mm. seeing these groups of angry men chasing down police cars. I was reading tweets from women whose car, cars were stuck on the Westgate Bridge and they were on their own and they were afraid and they'd seen people being attacked in other vehicles around them. You know, 
journalists. Oh, I saw so many angry tweets from journalists about reporters being unable to do their job safely mm. and what about their workplace safety in this mm. situation. Like there's no question that that footage was terrifying, but what it what it stirs in me is this real worry about how we ever come back together because we we don't want to be America this divided nation. We don't even want to be Brexit Britain, this divided nation. But it seems like there's no chance of any other option like this. It's interesting how the mandatory vaccination debate is drawing massive divides in all kinds of communities. I'm seeing it on micro levels in friendship groups. This week in New South Mm -hmm. Wales, we got an allowance for children to be able to go into each other's houses if the parents are vaccinated, which is fantastic, a certain number. But it also immediately means that people are turning to each other and saying, are you vaccinated? Are you not? And there mm. are fears in communities that that's divisive. So it seems quite likely that what has happened here is a group of, of people who do feel unfairly targeted, who do feel like they've got more restrictions on them than many other industries, are also being preyed upon by people who really want to change their minds. That's the other thing that Sally McManus is saying. She's saying that in these unregulated social media platforms like Telegram, um, the the misinformation that is being fed to already hesitant people mm. is incredibly dangerous. And that's what you could see in these hordes yesterday who are chanting, no jab, no way, and they're threatening that they're going to protest every day until the construction ban is lifted. How is this going to end? It's really this quite is, frightening. This is where I would like to apportion some blame to our government, who I am cranky at when I see scenes like this. I'm cranky at the government because there has been too much time. That There's been so much time between mm. when vaccinations were discussed and when they were properly rolled out, which meant that there was more time to radicalise certain people. And the other reason that I blame the government is because on these apps that these people are on, say it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, whatever, there has clearly been an incredible effort by alt-right groups, by anti-vaxxers to convince people of their politics. The federal government has not done an effective job at convincing people to get the vaccine. Some people, yes, but the people who needed convincing, where where are your campaigns? Where are your activations? Yeah, everyone's been saying, where are, where are, are the education campaigns? I mean, I you know, I madly share memes from credible sources and scientists and epidemiologists But there's no blanket campaigns, you know. I couldn't tell you what the government campaign is around vaccination. There's one. There also needs to be one that targets this audience. Yes. Because with all the respect in the world, Mia, these guys aren't following you. (laughs) Like, you know. Oh, no, I don't mean (laughs) that I'm doing that. I'm like, I know you know that. But what I mean is. why aren't they? what, What I mean is is that this is a very specific <laughs> group of people with very specific concerns and we're seeing them at these freedom rallies across the nation. Someone needs to be talking to them because some of them will be on the fence, not the dog kickers, not the urine throwers. I think we can probably all agree that those guys are too far gone. But there's a lot of grey area mm. in between there of people who do need to be hearing the right information in a way that speaks to them. I'm with, yes, I completely agree with that. And I also am with you, Holly, that I think the aim from all sides at this point needs to be social cohesion. And what I saw, and I know that we're angry, and journalists in particular were so angry, that footage of a man trying to do his job and have mm-hmm. having things thrown at him in real time and the clear distress and fear that, that he was feeling was really palpable. 
But what we need to try and do is have social cohesion as our end goal. And in doing that, I think that comments like the one from Bill Shorten, where he said that these were man baby Nazis, probably not particularly helpful. I think that, you know, the media, some of what was done was really, really bad. And yes, those individuals need to be fined and they need to be reprimanded. But I don't think we're going to get anywhere Uh, if we just keep yelling at each other and we are now at this stalemate where everyone's yelling, no one's listening. But what what people, vax mandates isn't yelling. It's saying you can't come back to work in this industry. Yes, you have choice, but there will be things that you can't do, places that you can't work, jobs that you can't fulfil. And that's exactly what Sally Mulana said. Ways that you can't travel if you don't get vaccinated, that is your choice. But with choice comes consequence. But then what we need to do is when people go, I don't feel comfortable with vax mandates mm. because of X. I'm I'm apprehensive about the vaccine because of Y. Mm. We need to listen instead of going, and this is something that I'm seeing mostly on, on social media that I think is really widening the divide is just yelling, calling people stupid and not bringing people along with you because you're not changing anyone's minds. I agree with that. I just find it really difficult because when someone, when the basic premise of someone is not to believe in science, Mm. it's very hard to have a rational conversation. But then there are others on the fence, I think, where it's a a subject of individual autonomy when freedom and democracy is central to who we are as Australians. You can Mm. co-opt that language very easily. And I think we've got to do a better job at trying to understand each other, which is Mm. bloody hard. I read a really good quote from a different union leader, actually, the leader of the Nurses and Midwives Association. You can imagine what a different makeup of of, uh, of people that is. But their Victorian secretary, Liza Fitzpatrick, said yesterday, nurses, midwives and carers are exhausted and frustrated as they watch protesters fight for their right to overwhelm our health system. <laughs> and I thought, yes. And also the whole point of vaccination is a little bit less about your personal choice and more about looking after those around you, like your brothers, for example, which it's not a very union-y stance to be saying, screw you, what about my freedom? Hi Outlouders, I'm calling from Bangkok, Thailand, where we have been in summer form of lockdown since my hubby, kids and I relocated from Sydney to Bangkok end of 2020. It's been really tough being in a big new city without family and friends in a pandemic. So you ladies, Mia, Holly and Jessie are like a big warm girlfriend hug every week. I have you guys in my ears as I walk around Bangkok getting my exercise. You ladies are the best and my treat that I look forward to three times a week. Sending you and all the outlouders, especially those separated from family, so much love from Lily. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. 
been an excellent unseasonable red carpet season. It's not actually meant to be red carpet season, but COVID's thrown everything around in different different times of the year, and I bloody love it. We talked about the Met Gala last week, but there's been the VMAs, there's been the Venice Film Festival, there's been the Emmys, and one of the notable trends, and I know it's not like me to be talking about trends because what the hell do I know, but we've seen has been a real shift towards a more gender-neutral red carpet starting a lot of interesting conversations. Now, this is coming from all sections. For a start, like traditional male fashion, in inverted commas, like cis white dudes, are seem to be expressing themselves way more on the red carpet than they have for ages. The likes of Timothy Chalamet and Venice, he served up the most amazing looks. Even Jake Gyllenhaal wore this amazing like white linen baggy suit. It's like the rule that used to be for men that you either could wear a navy tux or a black tux seems to have been thrown out. But more importantly, we're seeing a lot more non-binary fashion and it's glorious. So this week at the Emmys, everyone was talking about Carl Clemens Hopkins. He's from Hacks, who wore this incredible gown. Billy Porter, who's a pioneer in this, has been doing it forever, wore these amazing satin wings. Non-binary crown star Emma Corrin wore a swimming hat, much discussed swimming hat. Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek wore like a blue sort of skirt pants combo thing. And where this might be leading this sort of celebration of non-binary fashion on the red carpet is even more interesting because more and more artists are identifying as non-binary. And where does that leave the very binary categories that awards shows live by? Best actor, best actress, best performance by a male in a leading role, etc. Now, Zoe Tarakis talked about this on No Filter last week, Mia, in your interview with them. Zoe is a non-binary Australian actor, you might have seen them in Nine Perfect Strangers, who's been nominated for several awards. They said this. I was looking at your CV and you've won a lot of awards for Best Actress, Best Female Newcomer, Best all of those things. How do you feel when you look at that? I was out as non-binary when the Helpmans, when I got nominated for Best Female Supporting Actor, in a play for Review from the Bridge. And that one, I think I was able to justify it because I was like, well, I'm playing a girl. I was playing, you know, a 1950s mm. girl. That's fine. That's okay. Like, but I think now going forward, it's a conversation I had with my agents and some people recently is that, you know, if the system doesn't fit people like us you know in awards and stuff it's very binary and so we have to find a way of making the system work for us and so I kind of just said well I think the response I have when somebody calls me an actress makes me feel physically sick when somebody calls me an actor I'm like yeah I am an actor and mm-hmm. somebody calls me a girl I want to cry <laughs> when somebody calls me a boy I feel beautiful and so by that logic then I should be put forward in best male actor category you know Mm. and so that's kind of a decision I made recently just instead of keeping on flipping I don't want to do it by the character because nobody else does it by the character Eddie Redmayne wasn't nominated for best female actor you know when he played a trans woman 
until they figure out a better way of doing it, <laughs> that's how I'm going to make it work, I think. Now, some award shows are figuring out a better way of doing it. The Arias in Australia, for example, the big music awards, have recently said that they are going gender neutral in their categories. So their boss, their CEO, Annabelle Hurd, said, the time for separating artists based on gendered categories that exclude non-binary artists altogether has passed. So why do we separate male and female achievements in the arts? I want to know. What are your thoughts? I've been thinking about this a lot ever since my conversation with Zoe. And while it might seem like progress to have just one category, does it mean, I think there's the Oscars, for example, there's five actresses nominated and five actors nominated, say, for best lead. Does that mean you'd have one category with 10 people? I mean, you'd have to, right? But then my concern about that is that there are a lot more parts for men, a lot more good parts for men, uh, a lot more men who are working at all through different stages and ages throughout their career looking all different ways. And so I wonder if it would be fair or if you'd just have something that was a little bit like how many male and female CEOs do you have? If you just say it's gender, a term is gender neutral and you just say actor, do you then, because of the disbalance in our society, have a disbalance in the acting categories? I wonder because I have thought about this a lot even in terms of sport. And, for example, it's complicated with sport because they say that, you know, the top 1,000 tennis players in the world, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's about that, are men. So if sport were to become gender neutral, then it would disadvantage women. And that's why it's really important that we have different categories. Whereas when I look at music or, you know, film or writing, there's not any difference in ability. It's like you can do the same things. And in fact, when I look at the performances – I, I sort of know what you mean, but like a Meryl Streep and a Brad Pitt are very much on the same page in terms mm. of their ability and their versatility. It's really hard when it's about trying to platform minority groups. And that's what I guess it was about when it started, was that women were playing completely different roles to what men were playing. And so they had to go, well, we need it to be that when a woman plays a really good wife in the background, she Mm. can still get an award. Mm. And that's evolved. But I I do wonder if then if you just had, I, I think a big category sort of would be fair and it does feel strange that gender is still front and centre when it comes to how, how they identify people in, in that way. I'm embarrassed to say, and I know this is because of my privilege, I had never thought about this before. When I listened to Zoe speaking on No Filter and then I saw that announcement from the Arias, I had never really questioned the fact that artistic awards were gender divided. And suddenly when I looked at it, it didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's true. Because I know what you mean, Mia. 
And I wonder if there are people in a room somewhere working this out for thinking that it's got to come to the Oscars in, you know, maybe not next year, but maybe in five years, whatever, trying to work it out. Is it, do you have more categories for different kinds of performances, but you make them gender neutral? Do you do a little bit like the Golden Globes and split it up more so it's like comedy, drama, blah, you know what I mean? So that there are more opportunities to get your bite of that. Does it force a level of equality into an industry? Because your point is really good, Mia, about, well, maybe this scale is balancing up a little bit, but lead parts for men, especially older men, are definitely easier to come by than they are for women. So does this force a bit of that change? Because it seems silly to keep hold on to it when it's becoming outdated just as a way to separate. It's kind of like I always get annoyed with at my kids' primary school how they sit the boys in a line and the girls in a line. And I asked the teachers why they did it once. And they said, well, we just have to separate them somehow. So that seems like an easy way to do Mm -hmm. it. And you're like, well, it does seem like an easy way to do it, but it doesn't really mean anything. And if there are more and more people who are comfortable being authentic in their identification, like Zoe, I mean, one of the reasons the Arias have done it is because there are a few big Australian names who are non-binary in that sphere. If they're comfortable to be pushing this and having this conversation, shouldn't we be looking for a maybe not an easy way to do it, but a better way to do it? And that's the thing is that people who are critical of this kind of change say, oh, but there are so few percentage-wise trans people only represent X percent of the population. But what trans people and non-binary people do is show us that gender is full of shit and that it's not something that is naturally predetermined, that it doesn't determine sex. I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't say it's full of shit, gender. Well, well, what it shows us, if you're assigned female at birth and that's your sex when you're born but then you decide as you grow up that you identify as a boy and you can choose to dress as a boy and you can sleep with girls and sleep with boys and sleep with non-binary people, then it's not as natural as we all have been socialized to think and that's why it's such a critical people like Zoe are so important because mm. they make points like that Holly about the the gender categories that actually say oh these rules we're living I by think sometimes don't make it's a lot arbitrary but sometimes it does make sense like in sport for example it makes sense the other thing that would concern me about you know gender neutral categories is that there's a lot of unconscious bias so you you run the risk of the men winning a disproportionate number of these awards over the women because of unconscious bias. So how about the unconscious bias of race? Exactly, that too. I agree with you. Unconscious bias in gender, unconscious bias in race, that's another thing and that's been a big problem that the Mm. the Academy and and all the award ceremonies have been really grappling with. This is a hard thing about the world right now. Should we make more categories or less? It's just like... (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's not even, for me, it's like, Of course, this is an incredibly important statement to make for non-binary people, but isn't it also allowing people who are the best in their field to be competing against the other who are the best in their field and not just about in a field that has been decided for them? Like, shouldn't Meryl Streep get to compete for best? I mean, I know this is a flawed argument because we all know that award ceremonies are kind of bullshit anyway. It's not like they're voted for by the public, but shouldn't Meryl Streep get to compete against 
Robert Duvall or whoever, like the other most amazing actor in their field, why shouldn't they? Like, why shouldn't you be able to compete against whoever the hell you want rather than for this group of like, well, that one's for the women's and they can all find it out amongst themselves and this one's for the men's. Like they don't do it for books. Look at the Booker Prize. They don't have, and men nearly always win it. Yeah, but exactly. Times are changing, and women, times are changing. Holly and women's books are considered chick lit and commercial fiction, and that's partly about unconscious bias and the Some idea that anything are. women do or are interested in is somehow less important and serious and worthy of acclaim than men. But isn't that the thing that needs to change? Of course. But how do you do and that? But I don't, well, I think you do that by progress. Like you can't throw your things in your hands in the air and say, well, we'll never fix that. Mm. You can fix that by evening up the balance of the people who are voting for these mm. things, by taking women's work more seriously. I mean, I think that it would be ridiculous for literary prizes to be divided into male and female. I mean, you know, I think it's really, I just think it's a fascinating conversation. With acting, though, it's different to writing or songwriting because you can write a song. Anyone can write a song. I, I don't mean anyone can write a good song, but there are no barriers to writing a song. If you're an actor, there are a lot of barriers to being in a film or being in a, t- you know, you have to have someone write a part for you. You have to have someone cast you. You have to have it promoted in the mm. right way. There's so many things that are out of your control in an industry that has always treated, you know, chick flicks as uh, just a funny little thing that no one's interested really in watching. Whereas films uh, that are led by men or that are, you know, starring men get a lot more funding, get a lot more attention and get a lot more acclaim critically. I've been scrolling TikTok again and I discovered a fun fact about weighing in the shower. So please I'd like you all just to listen to this expert. If you pee in the shower or turn on the faucet or turn on the shower and then sit in the toilet to pee while the water's running, you're creating an association in your brain between the sound of running water and having to pee. We combo that with pelvic floor dysfunction either now or down the line, then that's going to potentially lead to some leak issues when you hear running water outside of the shower. Unfortunately, those of us that were assigned female at birth and have that anatomy, we're not designed to pee standing up. Even in this Captain Morgan pose, your pelvic floor isn't going to relax appropriately, which means that we're not really going to be emptying our bladder super well. Now, in other wee news, an article was published by The Conversation this week that said we should stop doing the just-in-case wee, right? So, you know, the just-in-case wee... That's my... That's uh, that's that's your go-to. Go-to wee. Is every time we're in an... Yeah, airport, airport when we ev- used to travel. You just go. I'd be like, uh, if I see a toilet, I, it's, it would be it. a waste not to use it just in case. You love a toilet. Yeah. And look, maybe you can do a just in case we sometimes, but not all the time. And you shouldn't encourage your kids to either. This expert says that that's because you could be kicking off a lifetime habit. You end up training your bladder to think you need to wee when it's only half full when we should be training it to wait. Mm. Basically, you're training your bladder to not hold much and then it gets super sensitive. Naughty bladder. Naughty bladder. So anytime there's anything in there, it's like, let's go now. Let's go, just in case. Yes, which isn't good for us. Mia, how are you mm. doing weighing wrong? Are you weighing in Look, in lots of shower? ways. It's funny you say that about the we associate running water with weighing. I mean, don't we anyway? I remember I my mum when she used to pop me on the toilet when I was little, if I couldn't go, she'd turn the tap on. Every time I brush my teeth, I need to do yeah, it. And if there wasn't a tap, she'd go. And that was the sound of my childhood. I do think that as you get older, 
sometimes the connection between mind, uh, bladder and pelvic floor becomes a little frazzled so that you can see the toilet and then the wee goes, oh, we're going and it's like, not yet. Oh, we're not exactly. sitting down yet. Just wait. So do you wee in the shower? Of if course. you have that, yeah. Does any do you like? Is anyone to who gets out of the shower to wee? If you do, you must be a psychopath. Apparently, it's really good for the environment to wee in the shower because it saves so much water and toilet paper. (gasps) You know what? I don't wee in the shower unless I absolutely have to wee in the shower. And every time I do wee in the shower, like as in I'm not going to make it to the toilet or I'm in like some kind of communal situation where that just wouldn't be appropriate. And every time I do it, I feel so naughty. So obviously somewhere in my childhood, I was told not to wee in the shower that I don't even remember because every time I do it, I get like this. And this just tells you how sad my life is. A little thrill seeking like, oh, I'm so naughty. I'm so naughty. I just weed in the shower. And then I'm, why? But. Now that you've told me that, Jesse, about the environment, yeah. well, now I'm going to relax all rules. Exactly. And do apparent- you get out of the shower, Holly Wainwright, to wee in the middle of a shower? I do, unless I can't. I know it's really, but I don't what know do why. You- so obviously- you'll get out dripping wet, but then you get wee, dripping wet and then water get on back the in. Seat. I know, and it's not good, and it drips on the floor, and then the floor's slippy. I know, but I must have, thing. I must have deeply internalised that it's naughty to do it because. Every time I do it, I think I'm going to get busted for doing it by, I don't know who, the toilet police. I think that it also speaks to if you grew up in like a biggish family and I had, there's four of us and then my parents and we were all sharing kind of the same bathroom, then it's like, it's not particularly polite to wee in the shower because it's someone else is going to get in. Yes. Whereas now I have my own shower. I'm like, it's just all bets are off. Look, I you can do what you want. I don't think it's polite to wee if you're having a shower with someone. Yeah. <laughs> Unless that's what they're Unless, in. unless, unless that's unless, a king. Oh, there was an episode of Sex and the City about that. Goodness. So, Holly, have you <laughs> now passed on this little foible of yours to your children? And I'm sure I have never spoken to my children about weeing in the shower, so I don't think they do it. I mean, I'm sure they do. Who like? But I don't encourage it. But I'm going to rethink my whole Approach. shower wee philosophy now, which is an exciting thing for a woman of my age. As I'm moving into the next phase of my life, I'm going to give myself permission to just bloody wee in the shower. Apparently there's so many myths about this. I was reading to try and get to the bottom of whether TikTok lady is telling the truth because I don't know if she's an expert. She could be anyone. Anyway. It's so funny. I just accepted it without question. (laughs) (laughs) Which shows you why we're living in the world we're living in now, doesn't it? I read some of the comments and it seemed (laughs) true. And so I was like, yeah. It feels true. It feels true. But I was reading others that said that one myth is that urine can treat athletes' foot. I was like, oh, I thought that was true. No, apparently there is no evidence to suggest that getting wee on your athlete's foot is going to fix it. But then they were saying that if you have a cut, like let's say Holly would wee in the shower mm-hmm. and then her son gets in the toilet and he has a cut on his foot and he steps in Holly's wee. Wait, which... does he get on the toilet or in the shower? Oh, in Where the are shower. we weeing? Okay. Let's say Holly wees in her shower mm-hmm. and let's say Holly has a UTI, mm-hmm. which she might. She might. She might. Then her son gets in the shower with an open wound mm-hmm. on his foot. Apparently very bad. Very bad. Oh, dear. Because but I don't understand. It's not like infection. the shower. If you wee in the shower without the shower on, oh, that's weird. then I agree. That's a little strange. Yeah. Although I have done it. I can't remember why. 
something <laughs> about a toilet not being available. Toilet. I don't remember. I have done that. But Do the out loud as we're in the shower. Yeah, I need to know. I is this an on, am I the weird one or is Mia the weird one? I always like to have that confirmed. Let's do that. Let's do a poll. <laughs> I need to have a poll. Jesse, you've got a recommendation for us before we go today. I do. I'm watching the latest season of Sex Education, season oh, three. Same. It is on Netflix. I'm up to episode four. Generally, we have a rule that we can't recommend things until we finish it. I don't care. There are no rules anymore. I just love it. It's There is this great plot line between Maeve and Isaac, and Isaac is a boy who is in a wheelchair. And watching their sex life unfold is fascinating and beautiful and intimate and surprising. And I just feel like I learn so much. Mm. It's so cleverly done. I just love it. You I learn a it. lot about sex that you've never had. Yes. Like uh, sex between two men or sex between two women if you haven't had that kind of sex or so many different kinds of sex and between different people. And I just love it and it, it embraces the awkwardness and the tenderness and the, you know, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I haven't watched this season, but I love it. I love its aesthetic, that show. Yeah. Like I love the costumes, the colours, the choices they've made and everything from music to casting. Like it's a bloody good show. I'm looking forward to season three. It's great. And apparently in episode five, there's some scene that everyone's talking about that I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to happily discuss with Out Loud is in the Facebook group once I've seen it. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mama Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And we'll see you on Friday. Bye. 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 Mama Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.